Meet Stefan von Brunegg. He is over six feet tall, broad-chested, with a closely shaved head and a neatly trimmed beard. He is wearing blackened steel plate armour, detailed with brass and gold. His arms reveal yellow silk sleeves slashed with red silk, and he has a small white ruff covering his neck. As you can probably tell by his name, Stefan is not Italian. He is in fact a member of the Swiss Guard. Stefan is descending into a dark, foul-smelling space. The walls are wet and the floor is slippery. He is greeted at the bottom of the stairs by a hunched figure holding a burning torch. He follows this man down a corridor lined with bolted doors. As Stefan passes the windows in the doors, he catches small glimpses of the desperate and damned souls being held within. They reach the far end of the corridor, and the hunched man brandishes a large bunch of keys and inserts one into the door. As it opens, Stefan walks inside to find a man hanging upside down, chained to the wall in nothing more than a loincloth. His body is covered in scars, some old and others very new. The man is unconscious, and Stefan and his fellow guard have to help the jailer to carry the man down from his torment. Stefan and his fellow guard lifted the prisoner between them and began the journey out of the abyss. Bursting into the light and clean air, the rest of Stefan's squad took the prisoner and put him on the back of a cart. On Stefan's command, one of his men throws a bucket of water over the prisoner, shocking him awake. Then another guard uncorks a bottle of strong wine and gives the prisoner several long gulps. Stefan orders his men into formation and they set off on the short journey from the Castel Sant'Angelo to the Campo di Fiori. As they approach their destination, crowds of Roman citizens gather and Stefan orders his men to use their halberds to clear a path. Ahead, in the centre of the square, is the pyre, a pile of wood soaked in oil standing eight feet high. The crowds were being buoyed up by four monks who were preaching the sins of heresy against the Mother Church. The crowd responded with righteous anger towards the prisoner. Stefan and his men manhandled their prisoner onto the scaffold and tied him to the stake. As he is about to turn away, the prisoner whispers a word of thanks for the wine. Stefan grunts an acknowledgement and leaves the man to his fate. As he steps off the pyre, the fire is lit and Giordano Bruno is sent to meet his god. Hey there, listener. Welcome back to another episode of the Cloak and Dagger podcast. You are listening to your host, Will Davis Coleman. And as ever, I'm joined by Patrick Courtney. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing fabulous. I'm yeah. very excited for today. That intro has got me just so interested. I don't know if we had anyone burned alive on this podcast yet. I don't think so. And I'm surprised because we've done quite a lot of murders and deaths. And, and that happens quite a lot in history, doesn't it? Burning alive. <laughs> it certainly does in well, this time th- period. Let me think. I really can't think of anyone that we've had who's been burnt at the stake. Or even burnt at all. Has any singeing gone on at all? No, which is strange. Not even a light toasting? <laughs> no, not at all. Oh, the, the, there was the, the, the fleet of flame, ah. which there was quite a bit of burning in that. So, I mean, it's, it's a different True. style. You know, that was in war. And there's probably been other cases in war, but nothing in... No. Yeah, strange. Well, yeah, you'll find out exactly what what was going on there as the episode unfolds. I'm so excited. Yeah. As ever, listener, check us out on social media at Cloak and Dagger Podcast, where you can check out tons of Stop Looking at Me. I did it right that time. I didn't. I didn't even think about it. (laughs) You can check out a bunch of images related to the podcast um, and some sneak peeks, as well as a bonus fact at the end of the week. 
it's just got like a really great way to enhance your experience of this podcast. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. Like whilst we you can get a lot out of uh out of a podcast, it is an audio only platform. Yeah. So by following us on Instagram, you'll see us like actually interact with you guys and also you get some visuals to go with what we were talking about. And if you run out of visuals, just go on Google search and just look up people we're talking about. That could enhance the experience as well. Yeah, exactly. Come on, guys. A bit of uh, homework. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is a two-way street. You've got to try hard to enjoy this podcast. Um, also, uh, if you have enjoyed the podcast or you're about to enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on wherever you get your podcast or just tell a friend. It really helps out the show. It really does. And without further ado, let's get on with it. Okay, yeah. So uh, to kick us off for a new city for a new week... We are going to Rome, as you probably could tell from the walkthrough. Mm. Um, we have both... Have you been to Rome, Patrick? I have never been to Rome, which is shocking. I've been to the other like big hits of Italy, um, hits. which is probably mean to lots of other places. But I went to Florence and Venice, okay, um, which were really, really great. And I'd love to... Oh, actually, there were some people at work who've just been to Rome, ah. and they sent pictures to our like work Slack message, which was so unfair and mean, because <laughs> it looks amazing. It really is. It's it's one of my favourite cities I've ever been to. I absolutely love it. Um, it's just, it's also a lot bigger than I expected, because Florence is quite small. Florence is quite small. Venice is tiny. Or is is it? The, 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 well, the island part of it is, is tiny. Yeah. And, well, I mean, but Rome's a capital. Like, it was like the heart of an empire, so it's not surprising it got pretty big. Very true, very true. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so without further ado, I'm just going to jump into a short history of Rome. Trying to write this was <laughs> bloody difficult because, as you can imagine, Rome's been around for quite a long time. Yeah. Also, realistically, who's this for? Like, everyone knows Rome. I mean, it's, it's still you, interesting. You but... still need to know the background, dude. For two weeks, this is. No, four weeks. Because if there's two weeks gap. So for, f- for two episodes. For two episodes. That's a better way. <laughs> there's, there's your maths. Yeah. Um, so anyway, without further ado, uh, the origins of Rome are quite far back. 28 centuries. 28 centuries. That, again, is a weird way to put it. It just Tw- sounds cool. 2,800 years. Okay. <laughs> I had to do the maths in my head. I was like, what do you mean? To-? Okay, yeah. The thing yeah. is, they don't actually know when it started. Right. Because the archaeological data disputes what's happening. What's really, really interesting, actually, is that the... Uh, you know the founding myth of Romulus and Remus? Yes. The Romans date that. They have a date for that. Oh, really? Which is, uh, hang on, 753 BCE. Wow. So that's pretty... Oh, so that's right around when they think it might have started. Well, they did, but the archaeological record says it's far older than that. Probably more like a thousand years before. Sorry, a thousand years, so 300 years before this. Oh, but the, in the memory of Romans, they mm. didn't think it went back that far. Well, they needed it to be the myth. And, and also, it may not have been something that there was much to brag about. It wasn't like their city. It was whatever the thing was that came before it. Very possibly. Well, this is interesting. So, first of all, geographically speaking, Rome was built on seven hills on the eastern side of a large river called the Tiber. So mm. I always thought it was sort of surrounded. It is surrounded by hills, but it was all built on the east bank. Right. And it spread to the West Bank as time went on. So, right, okay. So those are the Aventine, the Palatine, the Caelian, the Capitoline, the Quirinal, the Viminal, and the Esquiline. Well done. Thank you. You did that very well. <laughs> I have been practising. Yeah, listen, he was staring at his laptop screen, so he didn't remember oh, that off by heart. Yeah, definitely not off by heart. Um, before Rome was established, they've worked out that each of those hills were separate Latin tribes. Oh. And then they basically one day went, you know what, let's just combine so like you said, they, 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 it wasn't a Rome, but there kind of was a Rome. Right, okay. It was more like a polity. 
So rather than so, a city. And they first. pick so they were all up on the hills, obviously for defensive reasons, and they decided to like form a little union Why, in the valley. I have a theory. Right. Okay. Great for defence, hills, mm-hmm. notoriously. Um water. Yes. They're all using the Tiber. Well, it's kind of like So surely you'd go, hang on. We're either going to be enemies or it makes sense if we're all well, there's, together. There's, there probably started to be this kind of neutral zone next to the water. If I might make a, a, a very... We love to speculate on this know, Well, I was going to make a, a, a slightly out there reference, but if you've seen Jungle Book and there's the whole, <laughs> you know, law of the watering hole and there, there's peace there, they may have had a similar situation where they go, like, we can fight, but don't fuck with the water there because we all need this to live. Yeah, no one's poisoning And it. maybe that kind of just grew into a bit more of a settlement and they went, well, maybe we just do all our stuff here that maybe that's just a better idea yeah so anyway that's kind of where the start of rome was um the mythology just briefly uh there's all sorts of origin myths but the one that everyone knows well the most people know is that two brothers founded the city romulus and remus in around 753 bce um having been raised by a she-wolf and mm-hmm. later a shepherd um Ooh. they were meant to be the sons of a vestal virgin right and the daughter of who was a daughter of a Latin king herself, and the father was meant to be the god of war, Mars. Right, okay. So quite biblical, really. Yeah. Virgin, God gives them a kid. This is way before, well, I was going to say biblical, way before Christ. I know, but you know, maybe that's where they got some of the some of the legends and myths around Jesus. I mean, I'm not saying anything, but I mean, at least no, you got you twins be. out of this one. That's very true. Uh, I don't know. Were they twins? They... Oh. I don't know. I assume they would be. I guess that's a good point. They're just brothers, aren't they, recorded? But they're yeah. like same age, aren't they, really? It's not like there's a... Is there an older and a younger one? Which there, is true for twins, I mean, there, but... There must have been. But yeah. regardless, <laughs> the thing is, Romulus might have been a real man. Oh. Because they think he was the first king of Rome. But he didn't necessarily have a brother. Yeah. And he wasn't necessarily the son of the god of Mars. The god of Mars? The god of war, the Mars. God of war, Mars. The god of Mars. God of a planet. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a little bit... Uh, there's lots of disagreement about what happened. But basically, one of the brothers, Romulus, wanted to start building the city on the Palatine Hill, whilst Remus wanted to build it on the Aventine Hill. That is the what the argument was about. Right. And it led to Remus getting killed by his brother or one of his brother's cohort. Because they both Just had Just because they gangs. wanted a different place to start the city pitch their tent yeah ridiculous that is a ridiculous petty brother it's almost like we <laughs> we're both brothers ourselves <laughs> i can imagine having that yeah sort of i mean yeah i can see that uh, maybe not turning into outright war but mm. imagine if um grand designs whenever there was a disagreement they ended up in warfare about Jules. where to build the house yeah <laughs> there's a duel that would make it much more interesting i think yeah <laughs> maybe not to the death though yeah so from myth to facts romulus is that kind of character who's both myth and facts because he was the first king of Rome, and Rome initially was a kingdom sure. rather than anything else. After Romulus, there were six more kings mm-hmm. in succession, and the last king was a guy called Tarquinius, and he was uh, a bit of a dick. I mean, to be a king of Rome, you kind of had to be. Sounds like one, Tarquinius. Oh, I know, Tarquinius. When someone, oh, anyway. Yeah, it's not a good name. It's not, is it? Even, why didn't they leave it back there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, apparently this last king insulted one of the powerful nobles of Rome by raping one of their daughters. That's that's a weird way to put that. He insulted the guy by raping his daughter. That's I mean, that, how the crime in... should be the rape, not the insult. I know. But that is kind of the the deal, isn't it? It is, sadly. Um, so this actually sparked a, some sort of coup where basically all the nobles rose up against the king and kicked him out and formed the Senate. 
Oh, really? Mm. That's very interesting. So it's a kind of like, it may have been like a, what's it called? Prima nocta, the kind of... Primus inter pares. Oh. First among equals. Is that what you meant? No, I meant oh, the sorry. the thing where lords will sleep with the bride of, oh, of God. someone. Oh, Bravehearts. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Like it may have been something like that and they went, fuck this. Just get rid of this guy. Yeah, Which is maybe. quite unique, presumably around the world to be. I mean, assuming this is true, but then they get rid of them and actually this is they don't just replace them with a new guy. They just go, why don't we do it as a Senate? I reckon it was more less idealistic i think it was they couldn't there were too much a bit like game of thrones there yeah. were too many factions who were too closely powerful and none of them would agree for the other one to become they king care. so they went yeah. like it's not really a senate it's just they couldn't agree on a king yeah so they had to go well i guess we'll all do it because we don't want anyone else coming in and doing it so mm. we'll hold the power sort of within so and- i guess it do you reckon it's still i mean i guess this is centuries after it being those seven tribes mm. seven tribes yeah seven tribes yeah but maybe that still kind of holds sway. It's oh, still, I'm sure. It still sure kind it's of just... is a very much city divided into seven rich factions or families or like mm. tribes. So perhaps it's just it never got to the point at which they became that united. Clearly, if all the kings are pricks who rape women. Yeah, well, this is the thing. It's it's kind of h- hard to say either way because it was so long ago, mm. you know. Because um, it, it, I think the kings lasted for 200 years. So we're still 500 BCE mm. at this point when the Senate... The Republic is born. Moving on swiftly, then came 500 years of the Roman Republic, right, which, okay. uh, where Rome really boomed. Mm-hmm. Uh, during this time, they spread its, their influence as far as North Africa, West Asia, and Northern Europe. Mm. So they really sort of expanded. There were all sorts of issues which we're not going to go into because this is not the, this is not the history of Rome. But as in the podcast isn't called <laughs> the history of Rome. But I'm just I'm going to really broad brush this. So then came a, a dude called Julius Caesar who saw that I've heard of him. Yeah, have you? Funny mm. that. Uh, he saw that there was an opportunity to take advantage of an ailing republic, which was riven with factions and corruption and strong men and so on. And whilst he never became emperor himself, the civil wars which he brought about ended in his death, but the birth of the Roman Empire under the rule of his adopted son, Augustus Caesar. Right. So okay. was he was he an imperator at any point, or was that bef- was that kind of before him as well? No, no, he was, and he was he was also a dictator. Yes, where we get the word dictator from, mm. and which back then be... wasn't an insult; it was just what you were. Yeah, yeah and yeah. he wanted to become dictator for life. And yeah. as he was about to be crowned, that which would have made him a de facto king because he didn't have emperors yet. Mm. Uh, he then got knifed. Oh, okay. Because. Because they don't like someone taking over yeah. for a long period of time. Exactly. Which is actually a small hint at next week's episode. Just Ooh. just to throw that in there. Love it, love it, love it. Um, anyway, so then what happened was you then had a great 200 years of imperial power, mm-hmm. followed by a gradual dis- process of decline with a few resurgencies of prosperity along the way. And basically Rome became, by around 4, 430 BC, sorry, by 430 CE, mm. It was a, it, it had collapsed as right. an empire, split into two, or is that that had already happened? That already happened. I'm not. I'm not, uh, yeah. I'm not going to go into <laughs> Please the, over that a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. With if you want to listen to a good podcast on uh, the Roman uh, the Roman Empire, uh, go find one. <laughs> <laughs> there are literally no, it's probably more than dozens. There's hundreds, I would say. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Um, okay, so skirting off that, skirting around all of that. After that, Rome kind of declined even as a city not just as an empire and it was actually sacked six times in 140 years by various armies of goths and vandals mm. so not variants 
Yes. Barbarians. Yes. yes, those damn barbarians. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the the one saving grace from all of this, speaking of grace, funnily enough, is um, the Roman Empire becoming Christian and therefore Rome becoming the centre of Christianity and the Vatican getting set up. Which is a pretty big plot twist given, you know, the Romans' involvement in the original story of Jesus. Absolutely, yeah. It's a big, uh, big sort of kick in the teeth for the it's, old gods, isn't well, it's it? It's a great, like, twi- like, it's a great, like spin on their whole scenario like they go like, i know we were the bad guys in this book but we're now making this book a central part of our culture and becoming a central part of the book's culture somehow yeah absolutely but what's really interesting i think is that from a very cynical perspective and sorry for any christians out there i think it's much easier to send the message of one god than it is of a pantheon of gods in terms of control mm. if you can say there's one god it's like oh okay this guy's the goody Yes. You need to be rallying around that guy. Well, it probably also lines up with the idea of worshipping one one god. You listen to one government. You do, Everything yeah. is all one. It's, it's much more it's, simple. It's much more dictatorial, really. Yeah, no offense, But Christianity is a little more dictatorial. There's one guy at the top. Yeah, don't, so. don't piss him off or send you down to the bad place. Yeah. Anyway, so after that, the medieval period, Rome managed to sort of remain a significant city, mainly thanks to the popes. Mm-hmm. The popes became much more powerful with all of Western Europe. Christianized, the papacy held a great amount of power from their seat and every king and even the Holy Roman Emperor had to be anointed with the blessings of the popes. Mm. Go listen to our Medici episode to see what happens when people come up against the popes. Exactly. The Borgias. God, I'm just firing off these references to <laughs> our other episodes the yeah you are so after that as the centuries ticked over rome remained fairly significant in italian politics until the unification of italy in about 1870 i don't know why i said it about it was in 1870 <laughs> uh, when it became the capital of the new country it was heavily bombed by the allied forces during world war ii but this marked the last direct conflict in the city's history which was less than 100 years ago so i guess that's not that long ago well you know it's doing all right yeah it's after, after a period of what getting invaded six times in 150 years it's now gone 100 years without any conflict yeah and now it's well it's it's coming up to its 29 2900 year birthday <laughs> is it really 2900 year birthday something wow. similar yeah <laughs> that'd be pretty that's pretty dope <laughs> yeah pretty dope but our story so that that's sorry just to wrap up that is your little history of roman that Asia. was pretty intense you literally covered all the big parts <laughs> It was so difficult to write, mm. to, to sort of condense. So I kept it's, going down rabbit holes and going, no, I don't need to talk about this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it already, it already almost distracted us by saying, didn't it split in half? And then, no, 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 we don't like, get into that. No, yeah, no, yeah. no, we don't talk about the split. <laughs> I'm surprised you breezed past the period of uh, when Gladiator was around from the film. So, because yeah. you are a big fan of that. So I'm surprised you just jumped over that section. True, true. But, you know, some things are, are best left unsaid. Yeah. <laughs> Go watch the film instead. Exactly. Although I don't think it's aged that well. This is not a film yeah. podcast. We'll do that in another day. Yeah. <laughs> so our story begins south of Rome, funnily enough. Right. In the city, actually in a small town of Nola, or Nola. Mm-hmm. Nola sounds so weird saying it in a British accent. It does sound, welcome to Nola. Nola. Yeah. But actually it's Nola, um, which is to the east of the city of Naples, which is kind of the, the southern powerhouse of, yeah. of Italy. So yes, our story begins in 1548, which for reference in sort of British history is the Tudors. And we're mm-hmm. looking at sort of uh, 1548 is when Henry VIII's, he's dead, Henry's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kingdom is being ruled by a king, Henry, Henry's son, sorry, Edward VI. Yeah, the guy who comes just before Elizabeth I. Uh, well, Mary, then Elizabeth. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catholic God, Mary. It's such a complicated time, isn't it? <laughs> and then we've also got founding or refinding of America. And I think it's like Ming Dynasty in China. And it's, I had some other things going off in the rest of the world. We don't know all of history. But yeah, that's the time period we're looking at. So in 1548, Giordano Bruno is born in Nola. Right. And he is the hero of our story who ends in a fiery pyre in Rome Square. Great. So, and am I okay to like him? Because quite often in your stories, I start to like a guy and then he turns out to be Hitler's brother. This might be your favourite person I've ever told you about. Really? Yeah. Now I know what you think. Who else have you told me about? What else have you done? Please <laughs> on? I pay very little attention to most of it. Um, <laughs> oh dear. Trying to think. Who else? I can't think. Most of the assassination ones are usually bad. True. Like they true. tend to not be nice. Casanova was a prick. Yeah. Um... Obviously, we had Hitler or Hitler's brother. What else have you done? Well, I've done things on like Vikings. Viking. Oh, the Viking dude was uh, he was kind of a. What prick. about the uh, the French dealer of uh, antiquities in uh, in that? One? I did like him. He was pretty cool. Oh, or the French. Was he French? I can't remember the the battle on the frozen shore. He was French. He was French. The commander of that was quite cool. I think. Yeah, I seem to remember. Yeah, he is. I mean, just cool for what he did, really. But, yeah, that's but yeah, great the, but the but the dragoman from the your, dragoman's curse, my yeah, favorite episode I've ever done. I think that was he was pretty cool there. Okay, so I'm hoping for another. This guy's just, his name was. Yeah, G- <laughs> you ready? Giordano Bruno. Giordano Bruno. Yeah, it's a good name. Yeah, or Bruno, as he'll be known from now on, because it's hard because it's easier to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, he was the son of a soldier named Giovanni and an actress named Fraulisa Savolino. Hmm. That's a good background, honest background, you yeah. know, military, and but also a flair for dramatics. Exactly. And the thing is, I think he probably wanted to follow his dad into being a soldier. Sure. Um, at this time, most soldiery was actually mercenary, mercenary mm. soldiers. Thomas Cromwell was a mercenary soldier in the Italian wars, which are happening around this time. Well, because most of Italy is like city-states, aren't they? So exactly. all of their military are like mercenary. They're, they're kind of in. They're kind of fighting each other. They're kind of like fighting proxy wars, all that kind of stuff. Exactly, yeah. But Giordano, for some... Sorry, Bruno. I need to get into that. <laughs> Bruno, uh, for some reason, decides no, that's not what he's going to do, because he's probably quite bright. I think he's noticeably bright. Right in preschooling, if you like, sure. whatever that schooling was, because we don't know. But it would have been fairly good. Um, at the age of 17, he joins the Order of the Dominicans. Ooh, right, yeah. so they're like friars and... Uh... Yeah, so they're a monasterial sect. Right. So they live away from the people Sure. in a monastery. Um, and he, it's kind of, if, you, if you're going in for that, you're either very religious, sure, scandalous... Right. Because you'd buy your way in instead of going to prison. Or you were intelligent. And I think that Bruno definitely fell into the last category. It's it's an interesting thing kind of being monks back in the day. Because in my head, it sounds like quite a boring life. But I bet it's probably quite a good life Mm. compared to what else you could be doing. Like you're kind of protected from a lot of things. You get to just sit and write and read. It could be quite interesting. Like reading and writing back in their day was like playing video games. So like it was just sort of (laughs) sitting around and being intellectual and drinking beer. Yeah. And it's past that time where you need to worry about Vikings. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, yeah, he was ordained as a monk in 1572 after seven years of being a novice. Mm-hmm. So he's he's dedicated, right? Committed. Mm. 
Now, I'm not about to sit here and tell you a dry story about him li- living out his days. I assume it's going to change. Well, it ends Naples. with him being burnt alive. So something changes him from being super religious to then being hated by religion. Well, this is the big thing. He was not super religious. Ah, he just wanted to do it because it's fun and interesting. And he's he was there. He was there for the books. Ah, okay. Basically. Because you can't be really that into that. I mean, I suppose 1500s, you can start being more intellectual, but most of the smart kids... Uh, at monasteries. They are, yeah, yeah. Because especially if you were born poor, which he was. Ah, of course, yeah. There's no other route for you unless you become a soldier, and that seems like a waste mm. for a, a brilliant mind. And the thing is, he did have a brilliant mind because from very early on, he was noticed, uh, noted at being very good at a skill of memory. Now, okay. this is a weird... He made it an art. Mm. He was like a human computer. You know how you get taught sort of to walk around a house and leave things that... You, have you ever done that exercise where you, you're meant to figuratively open, you go through your childhood home, and right. if there's like five things you need to remember, you place them in places like a mantelpiece on your bed, and then if you need to remember them again, you do the walk around your house and you can remember them. Have I've never that? done that. The only thing I do when I have to go to the shop, I think, okay, I, I just count things up to five and go, right, I had five things. And then I'm in the supermarket going, what the fuck was the fifth thing? <laughs> and at some point I will figure it out. But that sounds like a better idea. Yeah. So this is there's all these sort of mnemonics and things, all of those things to remember knowledge in a time before the internet, remember, mm. or mass mass production of, of, literature, of literature. You yeah. have to remember everything. Yeah. It's a bit like in the last episode, you were telling us about how the Icelandic sagas, people had to go and listen to the laws. Yes. You know, so it's the same. You just have to remember it. Yeah, exactly. So he had made intricate systems for remembering vast amounts of data. Wow. That's what he turns himself into a bit of a computer. Yeah. So he could he could apparently recite any passage from the Bible. Wow. Any time. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That is pretty intense. This was so impressive that he was actually sent to Rome for an audience with the Pope. Wow. Who was Pius V at the time. And so clearly Pretty pious. Yeah, absolutely. God, that is a bad one. <laughs> I mean, he's a pope, so I suppose that's a thing. But so is it, and to kind of show off, I was about to call it a party trick, but it's not really a party trick. It is pretty impressive. Well, no, but it is also a party trick because we're in the time where the popes are sort of levying people for cash. Mm. So if you have like this guy who can do this thing, you show him off to a bunch of donors and they're like, oh yeah, I'll give more money to that, to oh, that yeah, guy because yeah. he can then teach my son to do this. Or you know what I mean? He's like a sort of... He's a valuable asset. Yeah, exactly. Um, So he, but the thing is, it kind of starts to get him into trouble Mm -hmm. because the the other thing about the church at this time, and I don't want to be too cynical because I'm not a particularly Christian person, um, is that they thought that it might be out of like dark magic that he'd worked out all of these systems. A couple of jealous people going, wow, no, clearly he must be doing something spooky to be able to have this power of, I mean, remembering the Bible, isn't that what they're all supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. I feel like that is kind of their job. He was just showing them up. He was just too good at it. And presumably also didn't come across as that religious, Mm. given that he wasn't that religious. Well, this is the thing. From around the same time, just after seeing the Pope, actually, um, he was... He was, we know this from a confession later in his life, Bruno was accused on two separate occasions by his fellow monks for being a heretic. Ah, okay. um, Which got you burnt at the stake. This is not what he got burned at the stake for, but he was already being seen as this sort of guy who wasn't conforming. Mm, It didn't help. It added to his case. Exactly. Um, But he managed to fight his corner both times. Because basically, if you get accused of heresy in this time period, as a Dominican monk, yeah. you are tried by the Dominican judges. So you're not right. sent to, 
you know, uh, a sort of secular authority. Yeah. It's all done in-house. And he... <laughs> it's all done in-house. It is. Yeah. And normally you'd be represented by an, another monk who would speak on your behalf. Okay. Bruno didn't want anyone else to speak for him oh, on his behalf. He led his own defence. Yeah, he led his own defence both times and won both times. That's very unusual because that normally doesn't work ever, like yeah. <laughs> being your own lawyer. But I guess, I mean, I guess, but then if it's like, if you already are a lawyer mm. and you're being judged by other lawyers, is he being judged by his mates or by another like, senior, monastery? No, by the senior What's sort this? of hierarchy of the Dominican monastery. Right, okay, so not necessarily people he's friendly with. No. And arguably people here that might think he's a bit of a upstart who keeps going speaking to the Pope while we're this is lousing the thing. around I, doing nothing. I, I get the impression that Bruno was quite vain. If he had one of the deadly sins, it was vanity. Right, okay. Um, but that's just speculation. I will accept that. But I think... Got, I mean, he's got a lot to be vain about. He's pretty impressive. Yeah, I don't think he made many friends. I think he was a, a devoted intellectual. Right. And actually didn't give a fig about the church. As yeah. you will literally find out right now. So basically, things took a terrible turn for Bruno in 1576. So he's been a monk slash novice for 11 years now right. in the monastic life. Okay. He was, this is so funny. He was found to have a copy of a banned book right. written by a philosopher named Erasmus. <gasps> no way. That's Wait, a banned book. Oh, I suppose everything's absolutely banned, isn't it? it was. Yeah. And Erasmus. Sorry, sorry, not Erasmus. The book was discovered, not Erasmus, in the latrines of the monastery. So oh. he'd hidden it in like the back so he could read it while he's on the toilet. <laughs> it's a good place to read it. I mean, you're not going to get interrupted. Yeah, so, exactly. Wow. Yeah. So he's and so he'd been found, and they found the book right. Mm-hmm. This book on Erasmus, and it had hundreds of annotations in Bruno's handwriting. Oh, God. So he was dedicated. Because he's a scholar. Yeah, he, he was interested. Yeah, but he knew it was a banned book. No, you can't yeah. buy banned books easily. You no. have to go and find... I wonder where he got it. Well, this is the thing. There's like a like a secret black market of banned books within I, these monasteries. It, I there wouldn't, wouldn't be yeah. surprised. Yeah, well, there'd yeah, be a black yeah. market for everything. They're still they? allowed outside the monastery, but they never. they have to be back by a certain time. They lock up. Right, it's okay, like being yeah. a boarding school, sort of. Sure, <laughs> I wouldn't know. No, of course you wouldn't. Uh, moving on. Uh, so then, what happened was the Inquisition was called in. Oh, I know. So this is also this is God, not Monty no Python's. No one expected it- that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> very good. But we both raced to say it. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a brutal. You don't want to be touched by the Inquisition. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't, I didn't. You know, I don't use Monty Python that often for my historical sources. Very true. Very true. Um, so what does Bruno do? He he flees. Oh, okay. He legs it. So he's been caught. So this is separate from those two times he got away with it. This is the third time, and they've done. They've caught him doing something arguably really bad. Really like this bad. is they this burn is witches top, for less. Top level heretic. Yeah, but well, you know, air quotes witches. Yeah, so. air quotes witches. And also they're women, so they're much harsher to them anyway. So, but this is a guy like because Erasmus. I don't know much about the teachings of Erasmus, but are they antithetical to? Oh, yeah. This is in a time where they believed that the the Earth was the centre of the world, of the universe. Yeah. And Erasmus said, no. So, So, top lad. Yeah, exactly. He's right, so. And this fascinated Bruno, and he Mm. couldn't stay away from it, you know. So, he flees. And the thing is, he flees for a very long time, because he's being chased now by the Inquisition. The Inquisition isn't just going to, it's not one party of (laughs) inquisitors. They have houses across Europe. Mm. So he never stays for long in one place. First, Firstly, he went north to Turin, 
or Torino, if mm-hmm. you're listening to us in Italy, um, then to Venice, then to Padua, before finally heading to Lyon in France. Oh, wow. So he's really going far. Yeah, he's just basically making his way north, further and further north. Yeah. Um, and three years after his escape, he arrives in Geneva. Okay. Okay, so in sort of Switzerland. So he's kind of looping a bit round, yeah. But this is the thing. At this time period, as you know from Tudor history... Sure. Fat old Henry VIII set up the Church of England. Of course. Before Henry, Martin Luther set up the Lutheran Church in Germany. Yes. Right? And Geneva was a hotbed for Calvinists and Protestants. Uh, Ah, Non-Catholics. So it wasn't... It wasn't a Catholic. It wasn't a Protestant state, but it was a Catholic state full of Protestants. I don't know if they'd even called themselves a Catholic state. They didn't have a state religion, right? So they, which makes it a lot easier to be a different religion. Yeah, still wasn't. It wasn't a nation. It was just Geneva. Okay, but Geneva had lots of Calvinists in them. And the thing is about the Calvinists, at least from Bruno's perspective, who isn't particularly religious, Mm. they burn people less. (laughs) <laughs> okay yeah so, i mean if you have to pick one exactly that would and be also, yeah he's being chased by the other yeah, so he's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and then from the because from the inquisition's point of view he might as well convert it to islam like this is so just the, the worst thing you could do exactly exactly so he's in geneva geneva's also a university town right so he's going to the scholars basically. nice that's what and he's clearly he likes cities He's yeah. not going back to the countryside. He is. He's definitely a city boy by heart. I mean, it sounds like he's on the run, but it also sounds like he's just having like his his gap year. You know, he's he's headed out there. He's he's yeah. learning some new things. He's on a grand tour, maybe. Yeah, it's, it sounds actually better than being stuck in a <laughs> st- stuck in a monastery and having to read Erasmus yeah. by the light of a lavatory. <laughs> yeah, so true. Um, we actually know exactly what he was wearing. When he was in Geneva. This all comes out in the confessions He only wore later. one thing? Yeah, just the one thing. Right. Well, back then, you probably didn't have that many outfits, to be honest. Not if you're on the run. Well, he, he the thing is, he he got rid of his cassock, his uh, friar's yeah. cassock. And every time he stayed with friends, the ones who were Dominicans, because they did shelter him for a mm-hmm. while, were like, put it back on, mate. Because, like... This is know, weird. Yeah. It feels, you know, you're renouncing your whole religion by doing this. Mm. You might... Yeah, anyway. We know that he was wearing... I mean, he looked like a young gentleman because he was a ki- equipped with cap, cape, and sword. Nice. So you can just imagine, like yeah, a flash yeah, yeah. art character or very much a, um, not quite the you know pious monk that you'd expect someone like that to be. But I just imagine the Inquisition turning up in Geneva and passing Bruno in the street and going, "Wait a minute, was, was, <laughs> was that, that him? him? Yeah, but and he, he wasn't wearing his cloak and then vanishes. <laughs> no, but it was more like uh, he's not wearing his Dominican cassock." That yeah. can't have been him. Must have just been another guy. <laughs> yeah, I imagine they weren't that smart, and they were probably like, "We won't." Yeah, he'll he'll obviously just have gone to one of the one of the monasteries, and we'll be in exactly what we left him in. Yeah, exactly. Um, however, as usual, uh, his downfall was caused by himself. Bruno basically has a loud mouth. Yeah, and it gets him in trouble in Geneva, and he has to flee again. In fact, he doesn't even flee. What happens is he published an attack against another intellectual. Who he thought was a fraud. Oh my god, that is such like a dumb Hamilton. intellectual thing. Yeah, it's so Hamilton. It's, it's so just like Hamilton. you should just shut up, man. You're on the run. You're being hunted. And he's like, no, I will take out. What, what do you publish it in? Like uh, pamphlets. In pamphlets. This is, this is the, the the press is the the printing press god, has been. And bound. he just could not let it go. Nope. He gets in this intellectual argument and he goes, I know I'm hunted. I know I will be burned at the stake if the Inquisition catch up with me. I know that I'm laying low pretty well here. 
but my God, that guy's an idiot. I need to tell everyone about this. That guy was a man called Antoine de la Fay, and he his best mate was the uh, sort of mayor of the city. <laughs> so he then went, was so angry that uh, he went to the mayor, and the mayor then told... So he told Bruno to apologise, mm-hmm. and he refused to oh apologise. Oh, my God. I do like Bruno. I know, But right? he is a massive idiot. And the authorities had him arrested and deported. Right, okay. So he then... Deported back to Italy, back to Rome. No, 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 no. Just out the country. He's just like, yeah, you're getting out of Geneva. We right, don't okay, like you. Okay. You're a problem. Leave. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, apparently he was right. So the historians have looked into the... He was basically oh, right. spouting... In his argument. ...fake science. And the other was guy like, was. Yeah. And right. Bruno went, that's bollocks. And yeah, then, I know, but like, there's a time and a place to like. Well, if he didn't do it, who would? That's the thing. Well, I like maybe it's nice. It's a dedication to the truth and yeah. honesty, even at your own massive detriment. Exactly. But the thing is, remember, he has the power of memory. This thing, which no one else has, he has... good memory. I mean, everyone has memory, but <laughs> yeah. he has the power of memory. I mean, the Inquisition clearly have a pretty long fucking memory, also. Very true. Very true. But so basically, what he then does is he um, goes to Toulouse and settles down. Okay. And he gets a doctor of philosophy. That's what he becomes. He gets his doctorate. Wow. So he's clever. The guy has a brain on him, right? It's a, it's a good life. It's a pretty, you know, vast life. He's but done a lot. He moves. He moves. Mm. And Bruno eventually gets a letter inviting him up to Paris to give lectures on his memory techniques. Wow. How old is he at this point? So at this point, he is 33 years old. Okay. He's already got a doctorate. Wow. Really which good. Is pretty impressive. How hard is it to get a doctorate back then? Oh. Oh. I mean, probably harder. Oh. I mean, we could get, if it was us now back then, we could probably do it, but we have all of this future knowledge. <laughs> exactly. For him, probably a bit harder. <laughs> yeah, he, he he earned his stripes, but he gets invited up to Paris to give a lecture. Okay. And Bruno's lectures caught the eye of none other than the King of France. Nice. Henry He's good III. at catching the eye of people, isn't it? He? he got the Pope, he got the Inquisition, and now he's got the King of France. This is the problem. He's too eye-catchable. Mm. This is the problem. Loudmouth. He's yeah. impressive. He's got a good memory. He has a cape that he's swishing around and getting noticed. Exactly. He uh, stated later, I've actually got a quote of his, so here we go. I got me such a name. Wait, wait, wait. wait. I got me. Yes, well, it's clearly a translation. <laughs> I know, I really like that. I got me. <laughs> I got me a doctorate, yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I got me such a name that King Henry III summoned me one day to discover from me if the memory which I possessed was natural or acquired by a magic art. So, again, people distrusting his skills, but maybe not as violently this time. Well, I wonder whether he's actually putting it on as a bit of like, oh, I'm a bit dangerous. Oh, bit sexy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... uh, Well, he's got... His mother was an actress, so he probably has a bit of, like, pizzazz to his whole spiel. Yeah. So it probably is a little bit of, like, a mind freak act. Maybe also... Maybe it was also all fake. Maybe it was just, like, smoke and mirrors. Maybe he couldn't actually do anything. He was just, like... He had it hidden up his sleeve or something. Very possibly. Also charts and charts. Yeah. Has the entire Bible written on his arm. (laughs) Well, it also might be... That would still be pretty impressive, but maybe he's, like, a bit more of a showman as opposed to a real talent. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, so he, he continues, I satisfied the king that it did not come from sorcery, but from organised knowledge. And following this, I got a book on memory printed entitled The Shadows of Ideas, which I dedicated to his majesty. Forthwith, he gave me an extraordinary lectureship with a salary. So he's managed to charm the king of France by dedicating a work to him. Nice. Showing him his tricks. 
if you like. And then he's been given basically like tenure. That's pretty dope. With from, a salary. From the king. From I mean, the king. Tenure from a university is pretty good. From the king. It's like no one could really... Because also because he can just go and lecture anywhere, presumably. Yeah. And exactly. also, wait, his book was called what? His book was called The Shadows of Ideas. Okay, so he's definitely hamming up the whole, like, <laughs> possibly occult nature of this. This guy's like, what he calls it. He is a salesman, but he's also a scientist. Yes. Now, the memory thing is brilliant. It's one thing. It's brilliant. People like it. It gets him into into places where Important he places. should never have been. The guy yeah. came from nothing. Mm. Nola is not somewhere the King Henry III will have ever visited. It's, right? it's very Hamilton, isn't it? It is. This but, guy was 200 years before Hamilton. But if not as many morals. He's more just trying to get... He's just doing what he likes to Hamilton enjoy. morals? You really want to talk about morals? Well, okay, well, maybe uh, he not. He cheats yeah. on his wife. He... Well, maybe... Well, he's, well, at least he has... Bad morals, whereas Bruno sounds he's just amoral. He's just there to have fun and he's enjoying his life. It's not like he's fighting for a better country. Bruno is fighting for science. Oh, ooh. In a world where theocracy rules. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my head, I'm really like imagining him as like a wise talking, you know, doesn't really care about anything. But you're right, actually, he is... I mean, he almost got himself caught because he could not let sleeping dogs lie and had to retaliate to a dumb scientist. Absolutely. See, that's so, the thing. So he, he that, that's the thing to always remember. We're in a deeply conceited world of, of religious turmoil. Mm. And there's this guy saying, actually, I have other things to, t- to, to talk about which aren't religious. Mm. Right. So he's got his memory thing. Yeah. Everyone loves that. But there's another side which gets him in far more trouble and makes him far more notorious. Let me guess. Is he is he a bit of a, a ladies' man? I mean, he, he probably is. Oh, okay. There is a bit on that, but no, no, this is another theory. Sure. And this is Copernicus. Do you know the name? Yes. So Copernicus famously actually wrote a bunch of uh, uh, prophecies about the future and those of them have come right mm-hmm. come true apparently recently not not really but, but yeah, yeah, yeah sort of people love to do that but anyway um what he's also known for is talking about the spheres of the solar system yes that's why i know about him yeah exactly this is as i was researching this i was like <laughs> patrick is going to love me i've chosen a science <laughs> episode yeah. um but basically he looked at copernicus's model Bruno did, yeah. and expanded on it. Mm. So what he proposed, what Bruno proposed, was that the stars were distant suns, nice. surrounded by their own planets. Sound Ooh. familiar? And he raised... <laughs> familiar to reality, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, this is this is 500 years ago. Yeah. They didn't know there were planets. I mean, they, they, Galileo was around just after him. The, the planets one is interesting, because I know that there were theories that the stars were suns. Mm. That's a, that's kind of... Or the, the the sun is a star. That's like a few different people come up with that, because it's, it, it's not that big of a jump. The planets one, though, I haven't heard of. Right. That's really interesting. And he goes further. He raised the possibility that these planets might foster life of their own. <gasps> no way! Yep. That is... Brilliant! I love this guy. And it's called cosmic pluralism. That's what he called it. I have heard of that. Yeah. And he started this. Yes, this is his thing. Wow. I've never heard of him. I'm really surprised. He should be included in more of our, you know, physics lectures or anything. Yeah, he should. And he also insisted that the universe is infinite and had no center. Wow, interesting. So this is before Galileo, because Galileo famously... Galileo is the big guy. He's the guy with the... P- in Pisa, he drops the, the, the weights and everything. Theory of relativity. All yeah. of that stuff, right? This guy is just before him. Yeah. So he's like touting these, these theories. He also believed in the multiverse. 
No way. Yeah, well, he said it's possible. That he there said are, that like there's other, infinite universes. That are like ours, but slightly different. Yeah. And then in some of them, you know, you might be a superhero, you might not be. The Without the superhero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you could travel between them in different <laughs> realities and you could build a whole franchise around it. Very good. Wow. Very good. Yeah. How did he, do you have it there of how he described that? Because I'd love to hear, because it's really, I love hearing like really like scientists from like hundreds of years ago describe what we now consider to be very modern ideas. Yeah. Because they describe them in really weird ways, because obviously it's the way they would view it. Like mm. I'd love to hear how he, what he refers to as the multiverse, because the multiverse is a very modern term. Yeah. But what would he call it? Like, well, I think possibly the multiverse or the multi- multiple universes. Multiple he wouldn't universes. Have, he wouldn't have conflated the words. Yeah. Um, but to, in a word, I have no clue because it's actually <laughs> quite dense, as you'd expect. Okay. But I might you, have a look you after. can have a look. Yeah. yeah. But I, for this podcast, I, but the thing is, this stuff, this stuff is toxic. It's a little bit like walking around with a nuke in your pocket. Right. You don't tell this stuff. Because the thing is, as we said earlier, one God, control. And I know yes. that's cynical. Don't at me. I know that's cynical. But there's other this, elements of religion, which is nice. And, of you know, course, can really help people. there's benefits yeah, yeah, yeah. to religion. But from the, from Rome's point of view, they had a real goal there. Specifically in this time period when yeah. they were losing power in the north to all of these Protestants who were protesting against their theology. So yeah. they're on a war footing anyway. And there's this guy who was a Dominican monk, so one of their own, mm. who's turncoat, and not just turncoat, he's got the ear of the King of France. Yeah. And telling him that he could be telling him this stuff as well. This is not good. This is bad juju. Because, you know, France, traditionally Catholic, but could go either way in these periods of time. There's Absolutely. lots of places that are, Yeah, there's lots of places that are flipping between. So Rome does not want this guy who... And it's really, I bet it's a massive embarrassment, the fact that the Pope liked him. Yeah. So, like, it's a real, like, stain on their honour to have liked this guy, you know. And it's almost like they would feel personally insulted but by a guy who they, you know, raised up. And now he's going all over the world with these crazy ideas about the multiverse, which is a pretty weird one to, to be spouting. <laughs> Absolutely. But also, he also talks about the uh, how the sun doesn't the, we don't, we go around the sun as well which is the big one that's yeah. the one they really don't like they yeah. really don't like and also he didn't think the moon was another planet which lots of them did they didn't think the moon was another planet oh he I knew see. it yeah. was a moon he understood it was, it was a type it was of yeah it's a, a rock it's a planetoid as opposed to a planet oh there we go i yeah, doubt yeah. he said that but although maybe he did he seems like a genius yeah maybe in italian or french but yeah he probably said it in italian or french yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway so just to make him even more tantalizingly interesting whilst he's in paris mm-hmm. with the king um, he he makes some really powerful friends in the English court. Oh, okay. Number one was Sir Philip Sidney. Now, Sir Philip Sidney, actually, Sir Philip Sidney lived where I grew up, Barnes, but oh. back when it was a manor. He, I'm talking like a big estate, yeah. manorial estate, not like my manor. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, uh, he lived there, and he was the son-in-law of. Sir Francis Walsingham, spymaster extraordinaire wow. of Elizabeth I. Whoa, that's pretty intense. Yeah, it really is. And the other guy who he, he meets is Michel de Castelnau, who was the French ambassador to England. Right. Okay, so he makes friends with Sir Philip Sidney, mm-hmm. Francis Walsingham briefly, yep. who he'll meet again, and Michel Castle now, or does Castle now, who's the French ambassador to England. Right. And England at this point is now Elizabeth, so therefore 
Protestant. It is absolutely yeah. Protestant, run by Elizabeth. So we got in there well at a good time because you know a few years before it had been Bloody Mary, and then he'd been screwed. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think you know he was ten when Mary. He was ten when Elizabeth's reign began. Oh, okay. So Elizabeth just lives a long time. So he knew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he knew that England was always kind of a safe place, yeah. a safe bet for him. Absolutely, and a place of new ideas, maybe because um, mm. in Elizabeth's court she had the very last. I oh, know not not the last actually. I was going to say the last. A magician at court, but there are actually others. John D. Yeah. is a very famous magician who yeah. has come on this podcast. Come on this podcast. We've spoken about on this podcast. Well, we, he's, he will be coming on this podcast. We've yeah. booked him in. We're we really have for having a seance. He's really good at magic. <laughs> <laughs> he has lasted for a very long time. The cup thing that was him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, so there was if there was magic at court and accepted at court in England. Giordano Bruno with the shadow of ideas. The shadow, yeah. Uh, yeah. Why not? You know, and also, it because he's tweaked the ear of one king, Henry the Third. Elizabeth would mm. be very interested because if it's okay for one one royal, it might be okay for the next one. He becomes like in vogue among royals. Yes. So, Bruno gets permission to go to England. Okay. Keeps his salary with the French king, which is pretty cool. So yeah. he's basically there on sabbatical. Nice. Which is hilarious. And he goes there. He is in England from 1583 to 1585. So he's there for two whole years. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just before, for those of you who are wondering in the timeline, just before the Spanish Armada in 1588. Sure. But, you know, Catholicism is not, ha- they're not enjoying. So for all we know, the Spanish Armada was actually trying to hunt him down. I mean, maybe the Inquisition had pull in Spain. <laughs> The Spanish Inquisition is yeah, famous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> could could work, couldn't it? <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, so Bruno goes with Castle now back to the embassy in in England mm-hmm. uh, as part of his retinue, and whilst he was there, he goes and meets John Dee. So sure. these two minds, and the thing is, John Dee isn't just a magician; he's also really intelligent. Yeah. So these two minds are just chatting away, and he's the Queen's astrologer, and he meets the Queen through John Dee. Right. Wow. This is an amazing life, isn't it? It really is. He goes around everywhere. And remember where it started, such humble beginnings. Yeah. You know, an actress and a and a soldier for his mm. parents in a tiny unknown town of Nola in in very poor southern Italy. Yeah. To go and suddenly speak to kings and queens. Kings, queens and popes. Like he's he's hit all of them. He is. But the problem is with playing with those guys is it's like fire. Yes. You have to be very careful. Um he uh he actually, so whilst he was a big, he was a fairly big deal with the the memory stuff and with the, the, the Copernicus models, he was actually ridiculed a little bit by Oxford. Oh, right, okay. So he, he lectured at Oxford, uh, which is insane to think that. But yeah, Oxford was there at yeah. that time, yeah. Um, but he was ridiculed by several professors. One was the future Archbishop of Canterbury, who gave Bruno the massive put-down the opinion of Copernicus that the earth did go round and the heavens did stand still, whereas in truth it was his own head which rather did run round and his brains did not stand still. <laughs> Whoa! Wow, what a put down. I know, and he's wrong. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's never stopped any, any any Brit being wrong and having a good put down. Those are perfectly easy things to have in the same point. Exactly, I just think it's so funny. Um, so during his time in London, he was suspected as being an agent for Sir Francis Wilson him because the thing oh. is he was in he was a foreign foreign man in yeah a, not a particularly metropolitan city yet mm. and he could then intermingle and pretend maybe to be catholic 
Yes. He's a, he's a and Italian. Sir Francis is not well liked among everyone just because he's... What, he's a prot? Oh, I guess, yeah. So yeah. Any, any Catholic, because the Catholics are plotting to kill, they're constantly trying to kill Queen Elizabeth because the, pa- the Pope um, released this bull that said... Uh, which is like a, um, a papal yeah. bull is like a statement saying any Catholic who kills that queen over in Britain will go to heaven. Literally, like put a hit out on her. So he had his his work cut out, stopping all these Catholics trying to kill the queen right. and having a Dominican ex Dominican monk who was Italian spouting all these ideas, but not yeah, but maybe not known. Oh, see. as oh, a non Catholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he can he get in be. places that the props can't get in. Exactly. So it's quite a useful thing and a slightly. Uh, yeah, so we we found out that well, I say we, someone much more intelligent than I <laughs> has found out that, um, that he uh, used the name Henry Faggot, classic English name. Yeah, <laughs> blend right in there. <laughs> that was his. That was literally his code name, mm. Henry Faggot. But he kept saying to was Henry or Henri as Henri Fago. Henri Fago sounds yeah, much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which kind of gave him away a bit. <laughs> No, that's much better. After that, um, Bruno basically, it all got a bit too hot for him. Mm -hmm. And he left for France. Um, I had another argument, uh, this time with the French king. Oh, God. Loses his salary. Well, yeah. Why would you argue with the French king? (laughs) He's an idiot. I have no idea. Then he left for Germany and lectured there for two years. And then he moved, after pissing them off, he moves to Prague, where he was given some money by the Holy Roman Emperor... Nice. Rudolf II, before eventually having to flee again after being excommunicated because he's just pissing everyone off. Wow, he can't hang around for long. I guess he's got a bit a fair amount of infamy across the continent then, really, because presumably he shows up to places and people go, well, we know who you are. Yeah. Let's get a couple of lectures out of you before you piss someone off and then this have is to the bugger thing. off. I think he felt like a man born out of time. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, Hugely. Yeah. This could have been a time traveller. If time travel exists, this guy is a... It's what you would do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But the thing Especially is... Especially as he's kind of nailing the right places to go and not getting caught in too much hot water. I guess you could know that at the time. But he's really like... He knows all these great things. He has such a, like an amazing mind. Yeah. And he's just pissing people off, wandering back and forth. But when I said he was excommunicated, right? Mm-hmm. You might have assumed... Excommunicated from who? You might have assumed I meant the Catholic Church, who'd already excommunicated oh. him. Yeah, I was going to say, how have they only just got around to this? He was excommunicated by the Lutherans. Oh, my God. So he pissed off the prots as well. Jeez. I just find that so funny. So he doesn't care about religion. He only cares about his theories. He's a scientist. Well, it's not like the Lutherans are that okay with the idea of the Earth revolving around the sun anyway. Very so true. it's not like many of his ideas... It's not... You know, Protestant doesn't have a different opinion on science. It's got maybe slightly more okay with it. And as you say, burning less people for it. Absolutely. But it's still burning people for it. So it's not like it's a great trade-off. No, it's not. And the thing is... The thing is, right, Bruno is homesick. <laughs> yeah. He is. He's been travelling a long time and he misses... His home of Italy, at least where he feels at least he's more accepted as just an Italian man. Yeah, I think all the food he's missing out on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, French food's, you know, okay, but he's then been to Britain. English and food. Yeah, he's must have been all sick of that. Yeah, so, so how does he get back to Italy? Because he does get back to Italy, as we know. Mm-hmm. Well, he was in Frankfurt. He happened mm-hmm. to be in Frankfurt. And a bit like, actually, Casanova, in another episode of this yeah. podcast, he needed a new patron. Of course. Because that's how you make money. You yeah. can't well, he's live not been as an intellectual. Given, he's only had money from just the cool friends he's got. Exactly. So yeah. he's he's found a new one. He's approached by a uh, Italian merchant 
named Giovanni Mocenigo. Great. Who is Great from name. Italy. Uh, I can tell. <laughs> and he is from Venice. Okay. So he basically wants to learn these memory skills. And he invited Bruno to accompany him back to Venice. Nice. To tutor him en route, basically. Right. And does this guy know of Bruno's sordid past across Europe and how he's excommunicated excommunicated by both churches, hunted by the Inquisition, pissed off the French king? Didn't piss off Queen Elizabeth, it doesn't sound like. No. But, you know, not doing well for most of the continent. Yeah, basically, I think he did know, but a little bit like what you were saying, they... they he was trying to squeeze the, the bit he wanted out of him yeah. and then get rid of him, which is probably why I didn't invite him in for longer than that. Sure. Um, because it doesn't last particularly wrong, long. Sorry. Um, so what happens is he, he goes back to Italy in the coach. You can just imagine that coach ride. Oh, I'm going to teach you all this yeah. stuff. Uh, he must have been so bored. It's a long journey, though. Frankfurt to Venice. It is. It is. Um, right across the Alps. Mm. So he would have seen those as well. Wow. It's a Actually, really great world tour. I mean I mean European tour, I guess it's not he's not gone that further afield, but No. Imagine if he'd gone like east. Well I was I was gonna think if he's pissed off the Protestants and the Catholics, what if yeah, what if he goes to like the Middle East? What if he goes and joins I'm trying to think who's around then. <laughs> the Ottomans? Are the Ottomans there? Yeah, then? the Ottomans should be there. Then. Yeah, so he could have gone and joined them. I mean and if you wanted to find a like a culture and a religion that has a better view of science Bang and dad. academia yeah it, that would have been a perfect place for him to go yeah that's, that's quite true. if he's getting homesick and he's in france and england maybe going to the ottoman empire would be a bit far for him yeah but you'd think that he would have learned his lesson going to italy where he he it's like the heart of catholicism mm. it's going to be dangerous right yeah, but I mean, there are, I mean, Venice and Florence are both cities that are very Catholic, but also quite, you know, edgy. And they do like their, I mean, you know, some of the the best scientists came from Italy from this time. So True. It, I suppose he might think he can return home and, and live out his life slightly like just pissing off the church, but not enough for them to burn him. So this is the problem. He's got a big mouth. Yeah, and he also doesn't strike me as someone who does learn from his lessons. This so. is the thing. Well, he's, the thing is he's artful at getting away. He's always moving. But he's now returning to the place that he started. So why would he have done that? The reason is the Pope has died. Ah. This Pope was Pope Sixtus V, and he was an ultra Bernie Bernie person. He's not the Borgia one, is he? No. No. This guy was very into burning people. And he he gave lots of um, the Inquisition a lot of power. Mm. But since his death, the Inquisition was starting to appear weak, and they were even accepting heretics to kind of reform uh, okay. rather than burn. And he would arguably be someone who could do it, given that he was a official monk, and he's not like done anything. I guess he's done things kind of bad, but it's not. It's not the end of the world. No. But, so, well, yeah. But the thing is, as you say, the Inquisition has a long history. Oh, sorry, a long memory. A long memory. Hold grudges for a long time. Exactly. Um, so what happens is he makes his final mistake in 1592. Right. Okay. He applies to become the professor of mathematics at the University of Padua, which is down the road from Venice. Right. It's close by. Um, but was not accepted. You're not going to believe who took that seat, though. Who? Galileo. <gasps> no way. Oh, I bet, I bet Bruno was really bitter <laughs> and really... Like, well, I don't know if... Mm, I don't how know. old's Galileo at this time? Is he is he famous Galileo? Or yeah, is he just, he's on his way. 
Because I think Bruno's the generation just, well, is sort of half generation older than Galileo. So, yeah, he might have just thought, oh, who's this prick upstart? You know, I'm, I've, I've, I've been all around Europe and this Galileo fella thinks he's got these new ideas. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, so basically, he doesn't get this professor of mathematics seat, mm-hmm. um, probably because of his heretical past right they don't want to piss off the church no basically. no no so they went with galileo well instead. quite <laughs> well i think galileo hadn't said anything bad well sorry air quotes bad yet yeah um so much an ego his his patron mm-hmm. is getting pissed off okay because the, the memory he's probably spending loads of money he's spending all of his money he's probably not teaching him that much yeah because arguably teaching someone memory schools is, uh, is pretty impossible like you can get better at it but yeah. you can't it sounds like he probably has like an eidetic memory or something like that so it's unlikely that he can really transfer this to anyone else yeah i completely agree so i think that was the first problem the second problem is he uh is jealous of bruno's charms on his wife i told you he'd be a ladies man <laughs> i knew like you just the guy's charming me. i mean he's, he's he's charming he's got a showman i think you know and and being outrageously intelligent is attractive i think in anyone yeah he's also italian so he'll be naturally good at this anyway absolutely and also like you know he'll be like he'll be very wealthy but not pompous because he's from you know he's that he's that kind of you know rich but from the streets yeah so well, he was you know, not rich remember because he needed a patron yeah but he would be lavish like he you know after you know spending time at all these courts he might not actually have any personal wealth but i bet he's got really nice clothes and yeah rings. maybe he'll look wealthy because he's spent so long of his time at different at all these courts luxury. yeah and yeah. and yeah and being like he, he is that kind of person who's probably he might have nothing in the back oh, he doesn't have back he probably doesn't have any money to his name yeah but lives in luxury this entire time yeah on the back of patrons like Mochinigo. exactly but he's pissed off Mochinigo because you know what he does he goes, you know what? I'm going back to Frankfurt. I want to go back to Frankfurt and I'm going to get work there. And this really pisses off Mochenigo because he's going to then show him up in front of all of his other merchant friends that, that he'd, you know, that this sort of golden goose mm. is leaving and it's sort of an embarrassment. Right. Yeah. Also, questions would be asked about whether he'd attacked, sorry, not attacked. Well, maybe mm-hmm. uh, the charms on his wife, you know, all this stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Especially him fleeing. It could be the stories, the exactly the, the rumor mill will spin. So what does Mochenigo do? He denounces him to the Inquisition. Oh, well, I mean, it had to happen eventually. <laughs> I know, I know. But Bruno still doesn't think he's fucked. Okay, sounds quite arrogant as well. Like I bet he's—I mean—he's gotten away with it so many times, and arguably lived a spectacular life despite everything that's gone wrong for him. Mm. So he probably does feel a bit invulnerable. Yeah, exactly. And the thing about the Inquisition is, they're sort of set up in different cities, but they don't all talk to each other. This is not like a the cells. Uh, exactly, they mm. are. So the Venetian Inquisition. Not so bad. Oh, yeah, nice. they're okay. Pretty chill. Yeah, love and their also, masks. Remember, but <laughs> other than that, remember that he's also argued his case before. He loves an argument, and he thinks he. Oh, yes, I'm hundred percent. Like I really think if he can, if he's good enough to be able to argue his case as his own lawyer, he will think he's untouchable. Exactly, and has been arguably untouchable for the majority of his life. This is the thing, and also he's he's touched royalty. So I mean, if he's got yep. that. that connection maybe there's a last minute reprieve coming down the track yep. so bruno was arrested in may of 1592 and was put on trial for heresy which is where he was like 40 years before or 30 hmm. years before despite this however bruno managed to argue his way out oh. of 
every accusation thrown at him. What a legend. I know. It looked like he was on his way to being acquitted. Mm. This is this is this is from we know this. This isn't me just making it up. It's nice to to hear that actually their courts must be pretty fair because they must really want to kill him. Yeah. And yet are unable to. He's able to argue his way out. They don't have such a stranglehold of the courts which, you know, it's not, you know, kangaroo court. It, there's no, there is actually justice or at least well, you can on. argue your way out of this. Yeah. Well, he almost oh, argued right. his way out of handcuffs. <laughs> And then the Roman Inquisition turn up. Now, the Roman Inquisition are a nasty outfit. Yeah. They're not the Venetians. No. And so they literally demand the Venetian Inquisition give up and extradite him to Rome. Because remember, they're not in the same country. No. It's like talking to another country. It's like if he was in France and England. But they are... Oh, and this is why also... So the Inquisition are more, they're kind of operating under the church, or are they kind of autonomous in all these different places? They are all beholden to the Pope. But that's it. That's it. Right. Oh, so they're kind of like, I don't know, this is quite the same, but it's almost like crusader bands of knights, you know. They don't, they're not really together. They're not one army. The only person they listen to is the Pope, and mm. that's loose at best. They're just doing it on behalf of the Pope. So the yeah. Inquisition is very like that. Interesting. So I bet the, God... So maybe we'll, maybe we'll do an. I kind of want to do an episode on the Inquisition now because they sound really like bizarre and interesting. They are, but because also they're not allowed to draw blood, which is why they burn. Uh, that um, uh, you kind of draw blood to that, but <laughs> but, they, but you kind of burn. I don't know why fire's allowed, blood is not. You're not allowed to like cut them or anything like that. Sure. So it's like burns. They'd like use hot pokers and things like that. Um, but anyway, Bruno remains in prison. Once they got him, can you imagine the satisfaction oh. for the Inquisition? This prick has been loudly touting yeah. heresy all over Europe. Yeah. And he, they finally got him. He's like, he's like, whenever you see like TV shows or films when there's like the FBI and they have like their their hit list, like the person they've been trying to get for decades. And he must be on every single Inquisition board's hit list. Yeah. And at the top, Most and he's wanted. like, he's just been so annoying and he's not stopped being annoying. It's not like he's vanished and he's va- like vanished into these and never seen him. He's living it up. He's continually popping up and going, oh, he's still there, that bastard. He's just, he's, and now what he's, t- oh, he's talking to the Queen Elizabeth. Oh God, this is just even worse. Yeah. What is he telling her? Yeah. So, <laughs> so they, I bet they feel really proud of themselves. Well, you know what they do? They, they lock him up for seven years before they decide to do anything with him. Oh. Because they were like, you know what? You can just sit there. Brutal. You can think about what you've done, right? And you know what they wanted him to do? A little bit like what they do with Galileo later. Mm-hmm. They want him to publicly denounce himself. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And say that his theory was about the known universe was bullshit mm-hmm. and to admit that using black magic for the memory stuff. Right. They don't like any of it. That's a very like classic. 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 Um, that's a very like classic, you know, authoritarian regime tool. You know, you don't want it's him as a mouthpiece. It's not the dude you want to kill. It's his message. And so yeah. you need him to denounce everything, announce to people that he's been making it all up. He's wrong. But Bruno. He doesn't, does he? Is a martyr to science. Go on. Go he on, Bruno. flat out refused to budge. And even a little bit. He, they, really? they, you know, they try and barter. No, nothing. So what do they do? They torture him. As a Classic. result. Yeah. I know. The Inquisition were not allowed to draw blood, but they were allowed to use fire, as I said. So they And there's other things you could probably do without drawing bones, blood. Yeah, probably, yeah. or whatever. It's horrible. Finally, books in front of him or something. <laughs> yeah. Finally, the Pope, this one was Clement VIII, mm-hmm. lots of popes in this one. Um, he'd had enough. And ordered so they the Pope 
literally ordered the Inquisition to find Bruno guilty of heresy and impertinence. Oh, he because wasn't. Oh, he's he, not he, even given that. He wasn't. So he wasn't <laughs> sick of just the the brutality. He was just like, just oh, no, put no, him no. out of his misery. He, just end no, this. Is not put him much. out of his misery. Take him out of my fucking house. Because oh. he's like, you still haven't dealt with him because they need him. <laughs> the thing is, the Inquisition need a, an excuse to burn him. Right. Okay. But Bruno ain't budging at all. He's never they ever. They don't have said, an excuse already for what he said because he needs. They need. He needs to admit to being evil. They need to burn the idea. Remember. Right. They can't burn the idea if the mouthpiece won't say it. Yes. Because then he, he, yeah, he dies a martyr. Not say it. <sighs> what a guy. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, so eventually, it takes the Pope to order the Roman Inquisition to get rid of him. So on the eighth of February, sixteen hundred, Bruno was read his death sentence, and you know what? This was done in a court because mm-hmm. this is how they did it. I we have what his reply was when it was written out in the original Latin. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I've translated it for us. Thanks. <laughs> he retorted, "Perhaps your fear in passing judgment on me is greater than mine is in receiving it." Oh, this now guy. that's now that's a comeback. Screw over the Archbishop of Canterbury from Oxford. Yeah, that's a comeback. Yeah, you listen in, George I mean, he Abbott. S- he had seven years to come up with that, so you know. <laughs> yeah, but it was apparently straight away. He didn't give a fig. He literally wasn't oh. scared. He was like, "Nope, this is this. How I will, I will die on this hill, literally." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he was burned at the stake with a gag in his mouth. <gasps> so he oh. couldn't because he was proving his right. He proving that he was probably right about his enemy's fear of what he might say on the stand. Wow. They were that scared of him. This one guy, mm. terrified, terrified of him. And the thing is, right, his legacy was that he was a man who was like stubborn and obstinate, but he was so um, wedded to his beliefs in the universe. Mm. And, you know, if he had not done that, he could have renounced this years ago. Yeah. And it would be yeah. fine. He probably would have lived out his life. Lived a happy life, but he didn't want to. Yeah. He was impatient and probably quite annoying to be around. <laughs> Never meet your heroes. Yeah. I know. I can't imagine him being that pleasant, but a very interesting character. You get a lot of scientists like this. Like they, especially back in the day, you had to be a bit of a maverick to be a scientist because it's really, you really push yourself out there. Yeah. Also, probably a bit of a dick. Well, this is the thing. So, Galileo, right, who was his fellow intellectual, Mm -hmm. who stole his place. He stole his place as the professor of, of mathematics at the University of Padua. He would not be so brave or maybe stupid, depending on your yeah. point of view. Uh, and he bowed to the might of the Roman Inquisition and retracted his beliefs, as we know, about the earth moving around the sun. Yeah. So, you know, he was almost, although Galileo is better known, Bruno died for the science. Yes. And I think that is something to be uh, lauded. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He is a, he is a martyr to science yeah Galileo just came up with some good ideas i mean exactly. some pretty good ideas and it doesn't sound i mean it's i guess that's the thing galileo it sounds like also galileo obviously proved a lot of his ideas and pushed science forward bruno had a lot of great ideas that were kind of right it didn't sound like he did that much improving them or like mm. creating he sounds a bit more like a like a celebrity scientist i'd say yeah like a bit of a brian cox or he yeah exactly i think of some other ones i like but um but that kind of thing you know he's more about the showman he's more about like living his great life he's not you know in his office writing down theorems and actually pushing science forward but that's not the end of the world and actually you get a lot from someone like that because you get a lot of more people who are then willing for all we know he made uh, made it feel better for galileo to 
resist in the way that he could. Mm. And so without Bruno, we may not have got all of Galileo's theories. I completely agree with everything you've just said. I would also just add, though, you've got to remember that the scientists you're talking about, who sat in the dusty libraries, Mm -hmm. tended to be from wealth. Yeah, that's true. This guy was piss poor. He, Mm. He took what he could from the life but he always had to keep moving. He still had to be relevant or he would have gone into penury and then died in poverty. Mm. So he died for, he he probably would have, he liked the way he went. Yeah. I mean, you know, he he started from nothing and he returned to nothing, which is a freer way to live. Whereas maybe many of the more wealthy scientists would think, well, I don't want to be a stain on my family's honor. Like I have, I have a future in everything else. Whereas he was probably after those seven years of torture, he's like, no, this is, this is the end. He also probably didn't believe in heaven and hell. So he was like, if this is my one shot, the void will take me. I will give it my all now. Yeah. And then that's it. I'll leave my mark on history. And he was pretty much forgotten. The only reason I found him, and Mm. here I have got two source recommendations, um, that one brilliant article was by Hilary Gatti, um, G-A-T-T-I, called Giordano Bruno and Metaphor, which came out in 2010, but the real source material that I used. I've actually been planning on this podcast episode for roughly eight years. Because <laughs> oh, was he meant to be one of your B-listers? No, he wasn't, oh. which is a podcast series which I'd never made. But uh, <laughs> yes, it, well, he wasn't one of my B-listers. But I read a book series by S.J. Paris mm. about Bruno. Wow. Which was all about Tudors, and it was amazing. So if you're looking, for, if you like what you hear about um, Bruno and want to hear about his, uh, obviously, it's speculation, the stories which S.J. Paris tells, but they are amazing books. Mm. Really, really good. So, yeah, go check those out if you're looking for stuff to go on. And That yeah. is an extraordinary story. Isn't it? And a shame that we don't know more about him. I know. Well, if you're ever in Rome, mm-hmm. the Campo di Fiori, where he was burnt at the stake, now has his statue in the really? middle and he's wearing he looks like a member of the assassins he's got a cloak and he's he looks so cool look he's up. got a hood sorry i won't look up now because it'll stop being loud but that is very cool yeah so he gets his own back a bit by being placed in rome mm-hmm. above all the others who denied him that is i love that guy yeah right i mean still probably a bit of a dick but, but that gives him a yeah, little bit of humanity. There's something you know? there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's he's, a, he doesn't care what people think. I think he's brilliant. Anyway, that is my story. Thank you so much, listener. Um, Patrick, may I ask what you've got planned for two weeks' time on our next episode? Well, it's very interesting. So I think we're... The, the, weirdly, this has now been a themed... I mean, obviously, it's Rome, but... <laughs> Weird, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, they kind of fits <laughs> together like that. But we'll also be looking at a... Famous-ish, but maybe forgotten hero of Rome. So I guess that is the opposite. This guy is actually a hero of Rome. (laughs) So we will be exploring the quite interesting history of Lucius Quinctius Cincinnatus, who is, some people might have heard of him. He is kind of a... I don't think I have. I'm very surprised you haven't heard of him, but you might have heard of his story once we get into it. But he is supposedly one of Rome's favoured sons or heroes of quite an ancient part of Rome. We've actually, you did cover bits of it when, when we were talking about it earlier of the time. Um, so yeah, so another another famous dude, which probably isn't the, the most diverse thing to do, but he's maybe on the other end of the spectrum of fame. Well, in terms of time, we've gone way back now. Yes. So this is good for us from a, from that standpoint. Um, so yeah, okay. Have a look at that. 
Yes, 460 BC. So a okay, long nice. ass time ago. Very long ago. Okay, all right. So uh, looking forward to that uh, in a few weeks' time. And yeah, thanks guys so much for listening. Thank you so much. As we said at the beginning, check out our Instagram at Cloak and Dagger Podcast so you can see a bunch of images. We'll put that statue of Bruno so yeah, you can check will. it out there. Um, and then, you know, check it out there if you actually go to Rome, if you're lucky enough to, to travel to... Has it got a nickname, Rome? Yeah, the, um, the Immortal City. Is it really called the Immortal? Oh, that's mm. a great name. Well, if you're ever in the Immortal City, go check out Bruno and, you know, read a science book next to him. Make him feel good. Absolutely. Cheers, guys. Thanks so much. Bye.